Yeah, hey, your sound is like good this time. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. I hope so. Well, I'm uh, I'm hopefully using less internet this time, so hopefully that'll that'll make it easier. Um, okay, let's see. Does anyone want to be a reader for us? Someone who can read the verse. Yeah, I'm gonna read the first one to four. One. Can you read one through four? Okay. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at our and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete, complete like and darkness, sin, and forgiveness. Very good. Thank you. Um, so we're going to focus on the first four verses of 1 John. And in these first four verses, uh, we also get to see John's purpose in writing this uh, letter to the Christians. If you remember, this is John's first letter, but he wrote it after he wrote his gospel. Uh, John himself was a very close friend of Jesus Christ. They had very intimate fellowship together. Uh, you can see here in this chart of Jesus Christ fellowship on earth that the one uh, whom Jesus loved was John. So John understands very personally, very intimately, what it means to have fellowship with Jesus Christ. Uh, outside of that circle was the circle of privilege, there was John, James, and Peter, uh, all three of whom we get letters uh, in the epistles from. So when we're reading the Gospel of John, we can also look at James and Peter um, to see their fellowship with Jesus also. Um, within the Gospel of John, um, the purpose of the Gospel of John is to teach us the way of salvation John says that he wrote that book in order that we might believe. Uh, but inside uh, the book of John, chapters 14 through 17, uh, we get a very unique teaching of Jesus to his disciples. Uh, that's for the church. That's for people who are already saved so that they might grow in deeper fellowship uh, together and with Jesus. And all of these epistles, James, Peter, John, the uh, upper room discourse that Jesus gives to his disciples, his believing disciples, it all focuses very much on doctrine. It's teaching us truths and teaching us facts about the person of Jesus Christ and who he is. And it's important if we're going to have fellowship with one another, that we all understand equally who Jesus Christ is, who it is that we have fellowship with. So that's uh, what John is 
uh, introducing in the first idea of his, um, of his letter, he's going to be talking about fellowship. And in order to have fellowship, he has to start on an equal basis with everyone so that everyone is in equal agreement about who Jesus Christ is. So he begins, he says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This, these first uh, three verses can be pretty challenging because uh, in order to put the emphasis on what was from the beginning and this word of life, he's actually moved the object of the sentence to the beginning. So usually in, in English and also in Greek, we have a subject, a verb, and an object. Well, he's moved his object to the beginning of his sentence. Um, so we're going to be hearing the object, the thing which is receiving the action of the verb, before we actually hear the subject. Um, so what was from the beginning, this is an object. Um, he's going to be giving us a verb um, that correlates to this later. And if we look here, uh, it's going to be this, uh, uh, this, these things we write. We're writing to the church about what was from the beginning, about what was heard, and what the eyes have seen, what the hands have touched. The topic is going to be the word of life. All of these things are about the word of life. Now, if you look, the translator has chosen to write this W and this L in an uppercase, uh, big W and big L. Usually when we do that in scripture, it means that it refers to deity. It refers to God the Father or Jesus the Son. Um, however, um, it's probable that these words should not be uppercase um, because the word uh, correlates to Jesus Christ in John's gospel. The translators have chosen to correlate it here as well. But in John's gospel, it says that the word was with God, not the word of life was with God. This word of life um, is different than the word itself. This is the message of life that Jesus brought um, in his first coming. So this word of life is going to be about Jesus, but it's not Jesus himself. Um, so what John is telling us here is they heard this message. It was the original message of Jesus Christ. It hasn't changed since the very first time they heard it from Jesus. They heard it. They saw it and with their eyes, and they looked at it and touched it. Um, they could actually have close, intimate fellowship, close enough with Jesus that they could even touch him. Um, we know for a fact that Thomas touched Jesus' hands and side. Uh, John um, reclined on Jesus' chest uh, while they were eating dinner. So they were in very close communion with Jesus Christ. And he wants us to understand that he's speaking here with a level of authority. And that authority is not his own authority, but the fact that they received this message directly from Jesus Christ. Okay, so we have a message here about fellowship. Are we able also to have fellowship with the unbelievers 
what are we going to do? Uh, so that's a good question from Janet. Uh, Christian fellowship is not possible with unbelievers. Um, we can't fellowship together on the basis of our eternal security in Jesus Christ. Uh, we can have uh, fellowship in a human sense, but not in a spiritual sense. So we can lead them to Christ, but until they share in this promise of eternal life with us, uh, fellowship with an unbeliever is not possible in a biblical sense. Uh, so we can definitely be friends with unbelievers. We can pray for them. Um, but the fellowship that John is speaking of here is a much deeper and a much more intimate fellowship, one which requires us to be of the same mind. So when we are sharing in close fellowship, we want to be in the same mind, having the same understanding. And that, that goes so far as to say that even other Christians who are saved, but don't um, follow the same doctrines, for example, um, if someone does not believe in the Trinity, that can be a place where fellowship breaks down because we can no longer speak freely of our faith. We have to defend um, these uh, very basic and simple concepts of our faith. Um, in order to have strong fellowship, we need to be on the same understanding of doctrine as well. Um, so that's what John is going to be concerned with uh, in most of his epistle is um, doctrinal uh, similarities that we can all share. And this first verse, uh, I think, gets right to the heart of that issue because many of the preachers in John's time were trying to say that Jesus Christ was not fully man. They were trying to say that he was uh, God and so that he could not have a physical body. Uh, but this is not true. Jesus Christ did have a physical body. Um, our theological word for this, we call it the hypostatic union. This means that Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, a very unique um, union of flesh and spirit that only God was capable of doing. Um, so to diminish this is actually to break down the barriers of fellowship when we're not able to agree that Jesus Christ was fully man and yet fully God, uh, that is a place where our fellowship will break down. Um, so we want to be able to affirm, just like John, that we believe fully the message of Jesus Christ, everything that he came to teach and to preach. And that's not only the way of salvation, but also the way which Christians should live once they have been saved. So uh, in uh, John 1, 1 in his gospel, um, he does refer to Jesus as the word. And this, I think, is properly capitalized. This uppercase W is referring to Jesus Christ. Uh, and this is in John's gospel, not his epistle. So I think in his epistle, He's actually doing two or three things by using word of life. Um, he is putting in our minds that image of Jesus Christ. However, what he's specifically speaking of is uh, the message that Jesus Christ came. 
And John's very good about this. He utilizes his words very carefully. He's able to say many things with a very few words. So we can think about this. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. This tells us a whole lot about who Jesus Christ is. Uh, we know that Jesus Christ has three offices, three positions. Uh, one is past, one is present, and one is yet future. In the past, his primary function was as a prophet. So he was the prophet. Today, he is the priest. He sits at the right hand of God, and he advocates for us uh, with the Father. And in the future, he will be the king. He'll be the king of a literal earthly kingdom uh, on this earth. So when John is telling us that he was in the beginning, the word, the word uh, is the essence of prophecy. Jesus Christ himself is the purpose and the fulfillment of all prophecy throughout scripture. Uh, in fact, all of the word of God is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, it brings glory to God to reveal his son through the word of God. So Jesus Christ is uniquely here, uh, the word of God personified. The word of God as a person is all in the body of Jesus Christ. Uh, and this was from the beginning, even from the beginning of um, time, he was together with God. And I think John is reminding us of all of these ideas in his epistle. But what he's specifically speaking about is the message that Jesus Christ came and preached when he was on earth. Philippians 2, 14 through 16 shows that Jesus Christ was from the beginning with God. It says, do all things without rumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as light in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. So we see that as we hold on to this word of life, the message that Jesus Christ preached, first of salvation, and then after we have salvation of fellowship and uh, Christian living, so that we can live victorious lives for Christ. Uh, in so doing, we become the light of the world. When the world that is a perverse generation, uh, a crooked people, when they look on us, we should live lives that point towards Christ. So we should be living in fellowship with one another, being in agreement about who Jesus Christ is. Uh, if that message breaks down who is Jesus Christ, then our fellowship also will break down. Um, so Tom Constable, uh, a man who I have a lot of respect for, he writes this about 1 John 1.1. He says, the essence of fellowship is increasing intimacy. So as we increase in our fellowship with each other and with Jesus Christ, we also increase in our intimacy with one another. We get to know each other better through Jesus Christ, and we get to know Jesus Christ better through resting in him. Um, our fellowship with God must involve drawing closer to him and viewing him more intently all the time to be genuine fellowship. 
John uses his three basic senses, his touch, his sight, and his hearing, uh, to highlight the reality of the object. He cited personal experience and appealed to empirical evidence. That's evidence that we can test uh, to support the humanity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was fully human. Uh, in Luke 24, 38 to 39, uh, we see that um, the writer Luke says, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for that the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So we know with absolute confidence that Jesus Christ was fully man, just like we are fully human. However, he was also fully God. Um, at this point in uh, Luke's gospel, Jesus Christ was not only fully man, but he was in a perfect body. He was resurrected into a body that we also have a similar hope of resurrection. And whenever the apostles speak of this hope of our resurrection, it always prompts us towards better Christian living. That because we have that hope of a future resurrection, we ought to live lives in accord with our future reality. Uh, the apostle uh, Paul, when writing to the Ephesians, says that we have a position with Jesus Christ in the heavenlies, in the heavens. Even right now, we ought to live um, with that reality in mind so that we live as if we are already um, perfected, even though we're not yet in our perfect bodies. Uh, in Philippians 2, 14 through 16, we already read this one. Okay, so moving on to verse 2, uh, this is like a parenthesis. Uh, John is giving us more information about what he means by the word of life. Uh, you'll see this M dash, this long hyphen. This is another way that we put parentheses around an idea. So he's going to be giving us more information. He says, and the life, that's the word of life, was manifested. And we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. Janet, do you have a question? No, I just want to say that that's my first heard that when you, the hyphen, that a long one is uh, like a parenthesis. Yeah, we actually- yeah, I just know that. Charlie didn't tell me that. We use it too much, but- um, it's a very effective tool. Uh, I really oh. like this long M dash. Um, so oh, that's okay. that's what that's what John's doing here. Is he's giving us parenthetical information, more information about what he means by life, because it's important that he's not just said the word, because the word would then probably refer back to Jesus Christ. But he wants us to focus on this word life. So he says, and the life was manifested. That means we were able to, um, to see it, to test it. It was present with us. Um, it became a present reality. And we have seen and testify and proclaim. So remember before he's focusing on his empirical evidence, seeing, touching, hearing. Now 
what did he do with that information? When he saw it, he testified to it. He proclaimed it. Um, not only did he receive this information, but he shared this information. Uh, when he came to an understanding of who Jesus Christ was, uh, this was uh, his moment of salvation when he knew who Christ was and he trusted him for that salvation. After that, he began to testify and proclaim. Um, he began to confess Jesus Christ. This was not something that earned him any salvation. His salvation was already completed at the moment he believed. But having that knowledge, he began to live a Christian life that was victorious by testifying and proclaiming and aligning himself with this message of Jesus Christ. And that message was eternal life. That message that Jesus came to preach, that he is testifying and proclaiming to, that is given proof by the very body of who Jesus is, is the promise of eternal life. So that's the message that we hold on to, that we cling to as Christians. Uh, this was the promise which Jesus Christ gave to us that he verifies to us by his resurrection, that just as he was resurrected, so will we be resurrected. Uh, this message uh, that they proclaimed of eternal life was with the Father and was manifested to us. Uh, this is the power source for this promise. We rest on the promises of God, and Jesus Christ is the veracity of those promises. Because God the Father raised Jesus Christ, also he will raise us. This was manifested to us. It was a present reality that could be witnessed and testified to. So in 1 John 1, 2, Tom Constable continues and he says, life is a title of Jesus here, just as word is in John, John's gospel. So he, John here wants us to connect life with the word, but now he wants us to focus on this new word, life. Just as the word of God was his focus in John's gospel, in John's epistle, life is his focus. And he wants us to think of Jesus Christ when we think of life. He says it reflects Christian experiences about which John wrote uh, here, whereas word, logos in the Greek, reflects the facts Jesus declared that John recorded in the fourth gospel. Grace and truth explain the logos in John's gospel, but light and love clarify life in his epistles. So his word of truth brings us the saving message. When we believe the word, we are saved. But when we believe in his life and we live in light and love, we live the Christian experience that he intends us to live. Uh, in 1 John 4.14, as we move forward in this uh, epistle later, we'll see that we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This is one of John's summary statements. When he again summarizes what was that message, that message that we testified to you was that the Father sent the Son, he was the source of the Son, and that the Son's purpose was to be the Savior of the world. This is the saving message, um, which every reader of 
John's epistle would have already believed before reading this epistle. That's John's intent, is that Christians are reading his epistle. So he's not teaching us how to be saved. He's teaching us how to live now that we are saved. Uh, so in 1 John 1, 3, he returns to his idea to finish his thought. He says, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that, this is a purpose statement, he's going to give us his reason why he's proclaimed this to us, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So this fellowship is based on the knowledge of eternal life. The reason John has written this to us was so that we can have fellowship with him. Now, this is in the plural singular or the, um, the plural first person, us. Uh, it's kind of hard to figure out who he is talking about here, who are the other people, because he's talking to a third person group of people. But then he uses this first person plural. So the us might be John's way of referring to himself. We'd call this an editorial us um, or even the royal we sometimes where um, we can actually refer to ourselves as a singular person using the plural. Um, this is something that a few students of scripture have proposed. I don't know if the Greek is that flexible. Um, I think he is either speaking of the fellowship that he already has with God the Father and Jesus Christ, um, because John is in good fellowship with Jesus Christ, and he wants us to share in that fellowship, or he's speaking for himself and the other apostles, because they are all in fellowship together, um, because they believe the same message, and that's John's message to us, is that we should believe the same message and live according to the reality of that message. And it's also possible that he has both of these ideas in mind, that we are living, uh, we are to have fellowship with us being God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the other believers uh, whom John is in fellowship with. Uh, the foundation for all of this is our fellowship with the Father, and with Jesus Christ. So in 1 John 1, 3, Tom Constable says, fellowship requires and rests on information. These are facts. Uh, a common body of knowledge and acceptance of that data. John wrote to share this information with his readers. So although John's purpose in his first gospel is not to teach us how to be saved, he is confirming that message and saying that this is the foundation. This set of facts is the basis for our fellowship. If we don't agree with these, we can't have fellowship with one another. Um, so he wants everyone to believe this. And that's why he begins by giving us the evidence uh, for these facts. In John's gospel, uh, this is during... Jesus Christ's prayer to God, uh, we see that uh, eternal life and fellowship are here connected in Jesus' ideas when he's speaking to his Father. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
So Jesus Christ is praying to God and he says that eternal life, what does it mean? It means knowing God and Jesus Christ who was sent by God. So these facts that Jesus Christ is repeating, this is the essence of eternal life for us. When we believe this, we have eternal life and it's on that foundation that we have fellowship together. All right, so 1 John 1, 4, he is now going to give us uh, kind of a summary statement of what he's given us already uh, in the way of uh, now that we have this information, where do we go from here? He says, these things we write so that, again, another purpose statement, so that our joy may be made complete. Again, he's using this plural hour. Uh, this time, he's probably speaking of the apostles um, who are also preaching the same message, um, himself included in this, that they're preaching this message um, so that they might have joy because as they share this message of Jesus Christ, uh, not only do the unsaved become saved as they believe this message, but also the believers are edified by hearing again the gospel of Jesus Christ, the foundation of their fellowship. And as they grow in intimacy and understanding through God's word, um, through these facts coming to common knowledge with the apostles, joy is increased because we become um, the body of Christ working together as we abide in his truths. So as we abide in him, we become uh, made complete. Uh, I don't think I included this verse, but in Philippians 1.6, Paul writes that he who began a good work in us, that's Jesus Christ beginning salvation in us, and after salvation begins sanctifying us through abiding in him. So he who began a good work in us will continue until the day of the Lord. And at the day of the Lord, that is the time in which we are made perfectly complete. So in 1 John 1, 4, um, he's speaking primarily here of joy, which is the purpose for writing about fellowship. When we have fellowship together, when we have fellowship with God and Jesus, our joy is made complete. Uh, all right, we've got another comment here. Janet says, is the and in John 17, 3, a declaration that Jesus is God? I asked this question on behalf of others. Sorry, Lee, not a problem at all. Let's go back there. Uh, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, in the English, the translator has chosen to put an Oxford comma. An Oxford comma separates two unlike ideas or ideas that are not internally um, cohesive. So I don't think that it is Jesus Christ's purpose in stating this to align himself uh, with God in that way. However, I think he is uh, declaring in his words that God the Father is the one who sent the Son. So he's positioning himself here, not as God, although that is perfectly true about Jesus Christ, but his purpose here is to show himself as 
the servant of God. Um, so they are believing in the servant whom God sent. Also, uh, they're believing in the only true God. So it's not good enough just to believe in the only true God. Uh, you also have to believe in Jesus Christ. Even the demons believe in God, the God, um, but the demons don't have salvation. Um, we trust in Jesus Christ uh, for eternal life, and we have salvation. Uh, so we have to believe these two things together. We can't reject Jesus Christ and believe only in the true God. We have to believe in both of these people. And that's that was the problem for first century Israel. They did believe in the only true God, um, but they rejected Jesus Christ. And uh, it was not only a national calamity, but a spiritual calamity for every individual who rejected Jesus Christ as well, as it remains today. Uh, Israel is again in their land, but they are still in unbelief. Uh, they have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Messiah, but we being the church, uh, we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our promise of eternal life, and also we're growing in fellowship with him as we abide in his words and the message that he preached to us about how to live once we are Christians. So uh, though Jesus Christ is fully God, I don't think it's Jesus Christ's purpose in this statement um, to align himself with God. I think his purpose is to show himself as the servant sent by God. All right, in 1 John 1, 4, uh, I have here a quote by Zane Hodges. Uh, Zane says, the apostles so shared the heart of Christ for his people that their own joy was bound up in the spiritual well-being of those to whom they ministered. So as John is uh, helping these Christians grow in their spiritual life, because this is a joy to Jesus Christ, and John's fellowship is, uh, is so strong with Jesus Christ, that as Jesus Christ has brought joy through the victorious living of his, um, of his body on earth, so John shares in that joy. Zane continues, if the readers retained their true fellowship with God and with his apostles, no one would be any happier than John himself. So John really wants everyone reading this um, to hear this message, to understand this message, and to act on this message. As Christians, uh, we ought to be living as disciples of Jesus Christ, abiding in him. Uh, this is not a condition for salvation, but this is a condition for victorious living as Christians. If we fail to do this, we don't lose our salvation. Um, but we do lose the full life that Jesus Christ has promised to us, not only uh, in our life to come in, the, uh, in our glorified bodies, but we can live victorious Christian lives here on this earth. And that doesn't mean avoiding trials, but that means being victorious over those trials through resting in Jesus Christ. Uh, so that's the promise that John is uh, offering to these Christians. And He's going to do that later as well in the book of Revelation. He, he writes seven mini letters to seven churches. Now, they're divinely inspired from the Holy Spirit, but the purpose is to give them encouragement 
John very much wishes to encourage his readers in all of his writings. That's what he's seeking so that they might have a sound foundation uh, so that they might grow in fellowship and abide in Christ. In 3 John, uh, his third letter, which is a very small letter, it's only about 12 verses, I think, maybe 17. Um, but two of those verses, he says, For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Now, first John, the epistle, gives us his, it's like his thesis statement for how a Christian ought to live in the world, um, in fellowship with God and the body. And his next two letters, 2 John and 3 John, are like case studies. Um, he shows us himself living in this fellowship with his brothers on earth. And here we see that uh, just as he testified that our joy is made complete by this message being testified to them, so he shows us that when he hears message, that um, when he hears that they have testified to the truth, that they are walking in truth, uh, he has great joy because he hears of his children, um, his uh, sheep and his flock. He is a pastor of this region. When he hears that they're walking in truth, he is joyful over this. So we also ought to be, as we, um, as we share this message and minister to others, we ought to be joyful when we see that um, our brothers and sisters are living in the word of God. So I think this is our last slide here. Tom Constable talks about the product of fellowship. What results when we fellowship together? He says, Joy is the product of fellowship with God. When there is no joy, there is no fellowship. In summary, John wrote as an apostolic witness. He was a witness to the very facts of Jesus Christ on earth. He identified two dangers that are still prevalent in the church today. One is the assumption that Christian fellowship is possible without common belief in Christ. We must have a common belief in who Christ is in order to fellowship together. The other is the assumption that someone can have a relationship with God without a relationship with Jesus Christ. John wrote this epistle so his readers might join in the fellowship with God that is possible only for those who have seen God as the apostolic witness of the incarnate Christ had done. So only as those who see Christ as John sees Christ who, uh, who have the same set of facts that John has about Jesus Christ, only those um, will have that fellowship with God. It's only possible for those people. So um, in summary here, what does 1 John 1, 1 through 4 tell us? It speaks of fellowship uh, in conjunction with eternal life, uh, that our fellowship is foundational upon our eternal life. So he says, John was a witness to the humanity of Christ, and he shares this witness to us. His knowledge of Jesus was factual and intimate relationship. Knowledge of Jesus brings fellowship. Fellowship deepens uh, adherence to the same 
uh, depends on adherence to the same set of facts about Jesus. Fellowship with God and Jesus brings joy to all involved. All right, so with that, um, are there any questions that, that finishes out the first four verses for us? No questions, Janet? Um, for now, mm -hmm. uh, I think no. Okay. That's fine. Um, yeah, no, I'm, uh, just maybe statement but not question. Uh, I was just, I was just uh, thinking about uh, when you said that only the believers have a disciple, uh, you know, you can able to disciple uh, fellowship. <laughs> and also that um, if you have a fellowship, as what uh, Constable's uh, note said that uh, you know, if you have fellowship, you should feel joy. But what if if I don't feel joy, but still in fellowship? It's not it's not fellowship at all. Uh, I think you might want to uh, you might want to ponder why you're not feeling any joy. Uh, is there some sort of contention that's going on in that body of fellowship? I mean, we can attain to those set of facts um, and fellowship might break down after that. Uh, but uh, in order to have fellowship at all, we have to have it on the foundational um, understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And just simply on that basis, that if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life and that ought to bring us individual joy. Now, we might not enjoy our brothers and sisters at every moment. Uh, they might bother us or annoy us, but that's something that we can overcome. Uh, and we can only overcome that through Jesus Christ. So uh, joy is the natural response of fellowship, but that fellowship is fellowship when it's based on those facts of who Jesus Christ is and our common eternal life through Jesus Christ. Uh, if our fellowship is based somewhere else, um, perhaps it's based on what church we go to rather than our common inheritance with Jesus, uh, then we ought to realign uh, why we have fellowship within our church. We should have fellowship with all the members of the local church body, but not because they live near us and claim to be Christians, but because uh, they're in our immediate circle and have common uh, salvation with us. Um, so we, we want to make sure that our fellowship is based on the core idea of salvation and eternal life, uh, not on the external ideas about uh, perhaps what, what uh, body of fellowship we attend, if that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, makes sense. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, was this too much uh, doing four verses? Uh, I have possibly six verses planned for next time. Uh, if that's going to be too long, I'll, I'll make a judgment call before next weekend and, and maybe drop it down to three verses or so. Uh, 
I want us to take our time so that we can understand it and not feel too rushed. We have no, no deadline, no time limit. Um, only every weekend we've got to fit it into one hour. So I want to be respectful of that for you guys. Thank you so much for that thing. And yeah. even though yeah. I studied Bible, uh, you know, with my husband, how many years, but mm -hmm. my learning this time is like uh, fellowship is new to yeah. me because all what I've learned is all about doctrines, yeah. you know. Yeah. And doctrine <laughs> so, is important. Uh, I, yeah, I know. But yeah, fellowship but is... We can, we can hold away in our rooms and learn about doctrine, uh, but fellowship is really about engaging that doctrine in our everyday lives um, as we fellowship with believers. And as we do that, we, we grow spiritually. Um, and we, we want to be spiritually fit uh, for the spiritual warfare that we might encounter day to day with the enemy. Uh, and we know that our shield is faith and fellowship with one another helps to build that, um, that the strength in that faith because we share a common faith. Uh, and that faith is based on uh, the facts about Jesus Christ and who he is. Uh, so doctrine is important, um, but doctrine should be a channel that leads us to fellowship. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a little embarrassed, but we did forget to open in prayer. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll definitely remember to close in prayer. Are there any, any last thoughts here before we do? Well, I just thank you, Dane, for you. Uh, for me, growing up, um, actually, I grown up uh, as a Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was a child, I used to do Christian. Uh, what do you call? I used to go Christian church, but when I reach in high school, I need to go in a Catholic school because I need to study for free. So I I don't have no choice. I just want to light up my mind and my knowledge about Bible is like a crumpled paper. Just I like I told uh, to Janet. Sorry. I'm step by step I I'm learning. So thank you. That's wonderful. I'm I'm glad you're here. I'm glad all of you are here. Um I I can thank you guys too because I'm I'm really enjoying as as I prepare for these lessons, I'm growing in my knowledge too. So that's beneficial for me. And, mm -hmm. and I love fellowshipping with you guys as well. So uh, thank you to you yeah. as well. Um, yeah, thank you so much also. And yeah, we learn a lot from the beginning until now. So just listening and yeah, we have a lot of things that really don't know, even we are Christians. For me, I'm Christians for three years, but I really, Fellowship is really a big help for for me because Absolutely. I can learn a lot from the Bible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and that's that's what God intended for us um, was that we would yeah. live in fellowship. So um, I think it's an important topic for us to to study and to understand as Christians, and and uh, we can share in John's heart and have joy um, as we as we grow in fellowship. Share that with one another. All right, uh, so let's close in prayer. Uh, Janet, would you like to lead us in prayer? Oh, okay. 
Okay. Uh, I thought you want to choose Lisa. <laughs> I'll, I'll choose Lisa next time, okay? <laughs> yeah. Okay. 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 Let us pray. Um, Father God, Lord, thank you so much for uh, for this time. And Lord, there's many things that uh, we need to know, especially for me this time uh, about the fellowship, Lord God. And Lord, thank you so much that we can uh, we ho we uh, we hope that you can lead us as uh, Paul, um, John, and all the apostles fellowship their disciples with their God, Lord, teach us how to do fellowship with one another. Lord, even though we are far from each other, but Lord, uh, you create uh, internet for us to have a fellowship wh wherever they are, wherever we are, Lord. And thank you so much for this opportunity. And all this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, this is a great evening for me, and tomorrow is another day, and 